Hi, I'm Louise. And I'm John. And you're listening to the DCIF podcast, Changing World, New Opportunities, an investment podcast designed for members of the DC community. We'll be chatting with asset managers who are all passionate about DC and getting investment right for the members. Investments in DC have changed a lot, so we'll be helping you, the listener, to stay up to date with the latest, from real estate to alternatives, the challenges of trusteeship through to addressing climate change. This first series will focus on the changing world we find ourselves in and the exciting investment opportunities for DC plans. Keep up to date with our work at dcif.co.uk, where you can sign up to receive our research and get invitations to our launches. You can also follow us on Twitter at DCIF underscore UK and on LinkedIn, where we are the Defined Contribution Investment Forum. Fantastic. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to the DC Investment Forum's new podcast, Changing World, New Opportunities. I'm one of your hosts, Louise Farrand. I'm the executive director of the DCIF. And with me is John Holguin, who is chair of the DCIF this year. So we thought it might be helpful to start just by telling you a bit about the DCIF in case you don't know who we are already. So we are a research forum of investment managers, and we try and educate pension schemes on why it's so important to focus on investment when it comes to DC, because ultimately there are two main return drivers which will help savers achieve more comfortable retirements. It's contribution rates and investment. And it feels as though sometimes investment isn't focused on enough, although it does feel as though that's changing a lot, which is really good news. And we want to try and encourage discussion and debate through research and events primarily. Um, So today we've mostly done research in written form, But when we were thinking about our research agenda for this year, we thought, wouldn't it be great to try something different? So here we are trying a podcast format for the first time. Um, So for this series, we thought we would hone in on the investment world and look at different asset classes in this extraordinary year that we find ourselves in, where uh, the macroeconomic environment around us seems to be changing day by day. So we wanted to talk to lots of our different members who all have different standpoints on uh, the world around us and find out what they think the opportunities and the challenges are in 2022 and beyond. So, John, who are we talking to today? Well, to kickstart things, uh, we're going to speak to one of my colleagues here at Aberdeen, um, Sarah Norris, who's head of ESG Equities. And for many years, the focus within equities has been on passive investment and for a variety of different reasons, whether it be cost or actually down to the performance that's been delivered by the majority of active managers. But as we hopefully move away from cost to actually value, perhaps that does mean that there could be an element of active management within the equity component of DC defaults. So one of the areas we wanted to explore was impact investing. And we're going to look at small cap and mid caps later on in the series with another one of my colleagues. But we thought we'd kickstart things by thinking about impact investing, because not only is it active, but also does help DC default arguably introduce more and more sustainable or ESG type content within the DC default itself. So we thought it'd be a great idea to have a chat with Sarah, given her role here at Aberdeen, to understand just a little bit more about what impact investing actually means and how you can go about managing a portfolio along an impact theme. Brilliant. Yeah, I think Sarah was a terrific first guest. She's so articulate and knows her stuff. And it was such a wide ranging conversation. I really enjoyed having it. So without any further ado, we'll hand over to our conversation with Sarah. 
So welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on today's podcast. We're going to be talking about impact investing today and given your role as head of ESG equities at Aberdeen and also the co-manager on the Global Equity Impact Fund, we'd love to hear reviews on impact investing. But before we start today's podcast, why don't you just give us a little bit of background as to yourself and your role within Aberdeen? Thank you for having me. So I've been at Aberdeen for over 10 years now started out on the European desk and then moved on to the global desk. And I've been running sustainable money in some form the entire time. And my background is non-traditional. I didn't start in finance. I actually worked in development, which is why when I joined Aberdeen, I knew I wanted to get involved with impact investing. So I was tasked with developing the framework and then ultimately helping to launch the fund as a core portfolio manager. So that is one of my core focuses is identifying ideas that really deliver positive impact and also have positive returns potential. Fantastic. So can you actually explain to the listeners what impact investing is and how it's different to say simply just integrating ESG into the overall investment process? The land of ESG is filled with jargon and we don't do a great job in terms of trying to pick that through. So you've got ESG integration, which is looking at risks and opportunities and how are these valued, how are these priced, but it's not making a judgment on what you should or shouldn't own. It's just looking at your valuation. Then you've got sustainable investing, looking at companies that are well-run businesses. Do you have good employment practices? Do you treat your staff well? Do you have environmental policies? But impact investing goes beyond this, and you're looking for businesses that are intentionally developing products or services that are addressing an unmet need in a measurable way. So you can't screen for impact. Data providers don't provide the necessary data around ESG and impact that lets you make a decision on, is this company really transforming a global issue? Perfect. And how easy is it to identify how well companies are doing at addressing the specific impacts themselves? Because you talked about data and I was wondering how easy is it for you as a portfolio manager to identify how successful or otherwise a company actually is? It requires bottom-up fundamental analysis. We have teams based globally, so we rely on our Asian team, our emerging market teams, South American, North American, to meet these companies and to ask them for the data. So we would do a lot of data scraping data mining from annual reports and presentations. We don't estimate data. That is one way to look for impact. But we think that our additionality as investors is to really challenge businesses on how they are reporting this data, how they are trying to transform some of these problems and holding them to account. But it is a quite intensive and laborious process. We have an impact management group that meets once a week that's governed by our sustainability team. And they make sure that when we're looking at some of the impact issues, we are doing that in a robust way. We're not prioritizing an investment case and trying to make an impact case fit. We are looking for a company that is truly delivering positive impact. When we think about the impacts themselves, maybe taking a step back, the UN SDGs, I think, are pretty much a universally accepted set of impacts. Can you explain what these actually are, how many they are, and the various areas they actually address? So the UN Sustainable Development Goals are part of the UN's, the United Nations, 2030 Sustainable Development Agenda. And these followed on the heels of the Millennium Development Goals. So Millennium Development Goals were very much emerging market focused. The Sustainable Development Goals are global goals looked at core issues in around people, planet and prosperity. So the way we've categorized that is around unsustainable production consumption, climate change and social inequalities. So we think the SDGs broadly fit in those three categories and they are designed to be a roadmap for governments 
and regulators, investors to really allocate capital to change how we think about our laws and our own lifestyles and how we govern some of these issues to get us on a road to more common prosperity. And when you're thinking about individual companies, analysing them, do you then earmark which SDGs you think a particular company addresses as part of their overall business practice? Is that the way it works? or is it? We don't. You can, but you have to remember that SDG investing isn't necessarily impact investing. The SDGs are, are a helpful tool, but they were created for governments. They weren't created for investors. We've used them as a common language, but when you go through the SDGs, they're all about country-level progress, and companies can contribute to that, but they're more aligned, so you're looking for alignment. And so when we developed our impact process, we took the SDGs and condensed them down into eight themes, where we're looking for companies to deliver products or services aligned to these themes. It's a little bit less unwieldy than 17 SDGs, and it's much more material to actually business practices. So the SDGs cover those three categories, so do our eight impact pillars, and they're split roughly for environmental, for social. And when we think about impact funds and the returns that they generate, or indeed the behaviour of the returns, do they tend to be more risky, better returns than, say, a broad market? What sort of pattern of performance and risk are you actually seeing? I'm a true believer that impact is a source of alpha. So identifying businesses that have positive impact intentionally can be a source of returns. Because if we think about how regulation has evolved over the last decade, just looking at the World Economic Forum's risk perception survey, over the last 10 years, the risks that we perceive as most likely and also a greatest threat have evolved from being economic or political to overwhelmingly environmental and social. COVID is a key example of that. The wildfires that raged through California or Australia, I mean, we're living some of this. And that is where you're seeing regulation emerge. But that's also how we're voting. We're also seeing consumer habits changing. We're a bit more mindful about where we shop, more mindful about where our food comes from. I think these trends create opportunities for businesses. So businesses that have products or services that actually address an issue rather than compound an issue have the potential to deliver positive long-term returns. That's not to say there's not going to be volatility. In a market like this, where you've had issues with, not issues, but you had Russia invade Ukraine, the resulting energy crisis that we're seeing in Europe, rising raw material prices across commodities, fossil fuels, that's driving certain areas of the market that you're probably not going to find in an impact fund. So you have to be willing to accept that there will be cycles. But over the long term, we think that these are the businesses that are still going to be here in 10, 15, 20 years, and they're the ones that are going to be able to deliver those long-term returns. And in terms of performance year to date, can you just give an example of the difference between a typical impact performance relative to, say, Acqui, as an example? Our fund is about 5% behind the benchmark, and that is middle to top end of how most impact funds have performed. That's because we don't own extractives, fossil fuels, miners. We don't tend to own your traditional banks because when you're thinking about financial inclusion, you're looking for businesses focused more on emerging markets. And there does tend to be maybe a smaller mid-cap bias and sometimes a growth bias. So those factors do lead to a slight underperformance in what we're seeing at the moment. But at the same time, only 5% behind the benchmark is pretty good for any fund at the moment, given the volatility and I think the way the market was positioned in terms of quality and a bit more growth tilt relative to value. How do you expect that to change over the long term? Do you think longer term, obviously, the point of impact is to avoid fossil fuels and other kind of world damaging assets? 
Do you imagine that over the long term, impact funds are going to outperform benchmarks? Is that yes, the direction of travel? I think the benchmarks are fundamentally changing. You look at fossil fuel companies, they're not fossil fuel companies, they're not oil companies anymore, they're energy companies, they're rebranding. I think part of impact, and it comes back to that regulatory push, businesses are changing the way they operate and they're reevaluating where they're investing. And that allocation of capital internally is going to drive a shift in the types of businesses that we see. So I think the benchmarks themselves are going to change. And that creates an opportunity for an impact investor to find those businesses that are ahead of the curve. And typically, how many companies would you have within an impact fund? Do they tend to be very, very concentrated? Or are they more sort of 100 stock portfolios? I guess it depends on the mandate. But in general, do they tend to be quite concentrated portfolios? It'll depend. I think you need to have a good number of names in there for impact reporting because that's the key point of impact is that double bottom line, the returns and the impact measurement. And so you typically, I think maybe between 40 and 60 stocks, sometimes you have more, maybe sometimes you have less, but I'd be surprised to see one that is super concentrated under 20 stocks. One of the things that we're finding DC schemes more generally are being asked to report on is lots of data. And given that you're looking at companies across the globe, how easy is it to extract the data from, say, companies in emerging markets versus companies in the US? I imagine there might be a difference, but is there a willingness to provide that data? Definitely. There's definitely a willingness. If it's a business is mission-led and has declared an intent to deliver a positive impact through their products and services, they're shouting from the rooftops about this data. How they present it might be slightly different. There's no aggregation of the data at the moment, so it has to be manual. So you do need to rely on that interaction with the businesses and those regular touch points, constant communication with management teams and those updates, being able to look through the annual reports. And you do need to have the resources to do that data mining and go through those annual reports. It's not a quick or easy task. And so as we move towards the end of this session, and thanks again for your time, how are you seeing the impact funds that are being brought to market evolve? I imagine an impact fund that was brought five years ago is different to what's being brought to the market now. Can you give a little bit of flavours to what you're seeing at the moment? So I think impact investing in equities in a listed equity context is still very new. We launched around five years ago, so did most of the other initial funds, and you are starting to see a few more funds follow on. The trend over five years ago was maybe to have a broad focus on impact, So focusing on all the sustainable development goals or a majority of both um, environmental and social issues. Now, potentially, you have a focus on single issues. So an environment impact fund or a social impact fund. The jury is out on which way to go. I don't think one way is right or wrong. It depends on your preference and also your risk appetite. If you're purely social, that comes with certain biases and maybe even more constrained universe than if you have a more diversified impact approach. Same with environmental. What's next? Depends on what issues that we see next in terms of the world evolving. I'd love to say that we're going to meet the 2030 agenda for the United Nations, but I don't think we're going to. I think the problems are maybe compounding in certain areas. And so that's probably going to be a good guide for what's next is what the UN has identified as the greatest areas of unmet need. So in terms of the SDGs, I think you said there's 17. If everything goes to plan, could that actually be 15, 13? I'd love to see it. I'd love to see that. I don't think we're there yet. The Millennium Development Goals, we did meet some of them, and that was largely due to China and the emerging middle class being pulled out of poverty. Given what we've seen with COVID and also the security of energy that we're seeing now and the risk of people being forced into poverty over prices, I think a lot of the progress that was made, we do risk seeing a lot of that slip, specifically also the healthcare concerns, the healthcare burdens that we've seen, 
employment opportunities, education. The UN has some startling figures on the fact that the progress that we've made over the last few years has been nearly completely eroded in some areas. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah. It's been fascinating learning more about impact. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Changing World New Opportunities, brought to you by the DC Investment Forum. Head over to dcif.co.uk, where you can read all the research the DCIF publishes, follow the DCIF on Twitter and LinkedIn, and subscribe to this show on your favourite podcasting platform. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Changing World New Opportunities.